If you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com slash kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, got another BGDL community spotlight, and today we're talking about print-on-demand publishing, P-O-D, publishing. And I'm talking to Arthur Franz from Uplink Underground Games. Arthur, welcome to the show. Gabe, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, man, really excited to have you here. POD is a very interesting topic, especially now with companies like the Game Crafter and Print and Play Games, and there's all sorts of options out there. Uh, laser printing, CNC printing, 3D printing is becoming more and more accessible at home. It's getting cheaper. This is a really cool time to be a game designer, a game publisher right now, because you don't just have to go to China if you don't want to. There are other options, and you're a guy that's been doing this for a while as far as print on demand and putting out these interesting sports games and things like that. And so, yeah, I'm just pumped to uh, maybe look at things from a different angle because maybe there are listeners out there that maybe this is the better path for them to take instead of worrying about China and all the shipping and fulfillment and all the stuff and dealing with, you know, 2,500 print run, you know, manufacturing print runs and stuff like that. Maybe POD is the better way to do it. But before we get into it, who are you? How'd you get into game design, game publishing, all that kind of thing? Yeah, so uh, uh, the company's Uplink Underground Games, we started back in late 2015, early 2016, uh, just with a dream of making a game that we wanted to play. And, it, you know, I've, I have a master's in fine arts and creative writing. And, uh, and, and professionally, I, I manage uh, training functions for big companies. So I like that's what I do professionally. And so this is a great outlet, a great release. We'd get together and do role playing since I was a, a teenager. Um, and it was just an opportunity to kind of contribute to the hobby because we, we consume quite a bit from the hobby and I wanted to kind of get back to it. Um, a lot of what we used to do as kids was play uh, video games. Uh, and I'm not talking necessarily about Madden, although that's part of it, but there, were the, uh, there was a game called Microsports Football League, which is an old DOS-based game from the late 80s that did a really good job of simulating um, iconic single season teams like the 72 dolphins or the 86 giants and you could play them head to head and it was really fun because we would do whole leagues of this well when we looked at the board game landscape as far as uh, football games that existed in in 2015 2016 one of the better ways to do that was like stratomatic football but it takes three plus hours to play and there's a lot of crunchy uh, decisions that need to be made on a player-by-player -player basis. So we were looking at how to make a game that could kind of compress that into about half the time and still give you that flavor of coaching football. And so that's where Breakaway Football came from. Very cool. And so let's dive right in. Let's talk about POD. First of all, what exactly is print-on-demand? What does that mean exactly? And then we'll dive into like why that was what you thought was the better choice for your company. Yeah, you know, we back in uh, 2016, we we're looking at doing a Kickstarter and kind of going that full route. And the investment in time and the investment in resources was just 
outstripping our, our capabilities. Um, when I found the Game Crafter, and I, I know there's a lot of different POD sites, my preference is the Game Crafter because their interface was really uh, outstanding at the time. It's actually gotten better. Uh, and so I felt like here's a tool that's empowering me to make a game and iterate over a certain amount of time. And, and I know a lot of people use print-on-demand services primarily for prototypes. And I did that too at first, but they have a storefront, you know, and they have a dedicated audience and they, they do this really cool thing at the Game Crafter where they'll run contests throughout the year. And it's a way of improving engagement with their community. And, uh, you know, cause that's your customer base, but it, it is also a community. People get together and, and try to improve each other's designs. They give feedback. So for us, we just wanted to make it available to the public. And this was a way to do it at a very low resource uh, intensive way for us. You know, we don't have to carry any inventory. So just from a business standpoint, what I can do is put content out that is good and drive people to that content. And if they want to consume it, I don't actually have to develop that that product, ship that product to them. I don't have to touch it. And that's very compelling to me because I have a, a, a very robust full-time job. So I wanted to contribute to the hobby and I wanted to make something memorable. And I also wanted to do it in a way that was sustainable. And so this has been a really great option, print-on-demand. Yeah, and print-on-demand has been around for a long time over in the book industry where you know there's been a lot of manufacturers, a lot of printers mm. in the United States. Uh, Amazon bought out CreateSpace some years ago. And yep. now Amazon, a lot of the books that they sell they actually print them themselves they don't have to worry about warehousing or storing in them any of them they just print it and they can print it closer to whoever's buying it and so that kind of lowers the cost as far as shipping and so it's been in the book space for a long time but yeah now we're getting into some really high quality print on demand uh, board games where you know a, a customer makes an order and then the that printer that manufacturer says okay cool and we're gonna print those cards and here's the board and here's the pieces here's the box throw some saran wrap on it throw it out there <laughs> into the postal service and and off it goes right one copy at a time. And so let's talk about why a publisher would want to do this as opposed to printing 500, 1,000, 5,000 copies yeah. all at once, maybe over in China or somewhere in the EU. Why would they want to do a POD type of, uh, of situation? I, I could see two ways or two rationales. One is to limit your out-of-pocket expense up front. So you can um, put out a product with very minimal upfront cost. The other, though, I think is more compelling is actually to iterate over time and get real-time feedback from consumers. So instead of taking on the ownership of, well, I'm, I'm going to develop my prototypes, I'm going to get my test players, I, I'm going to do all this in secret in the background, and after three years of sort of working through my idea and I feel like it's good, then we're going to try to bring it to market. This actually allows you to bring things to market and get feedback very quickly. We uh, we. Like early on in Breakaway Football, because that's the primary product that we have out on the Game Crafter. In fact, it's Breakaway Football, and we have about 10 expansions for it. Many of them are extra team sets. There's a weather expansion. There's a red zone, which allows you to simulate games in a very small amount of time if you want to do league play. And all of these were actually requests from our customers. Like I never intended to design Red Zone, the... Um, uh, the thing that allows you to simulate a game in about 10 minutes, uh, whereas a normal game takes anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes to play. Uh, but people had requested, hey, is there a way that we could paste this up for the games that we aren't coaching when we do leagues, the, the, the AI versus AI games? And so, you know, taking that, you know, product uh, request from your customers that would have been impossible uh, without the game crafter. Uh, but I, I see it as a way of you, you release it, you get immediate feedback on it, and then making a change, you don't have a thousand or 10,000 of them in a warehouse that are 
that are done that you cannot change. If there's a problem or an issue or you want an enhancement, you can actually go in, swap out the artwork, release it as a second edition, and it is immediately available in that second edition. So it's, you know, that agility, that flexibility that businesses need. It provides that, and and the uh, limited amount of upfront cost, it makes it a very compelling uh, way to go. Now, to be very very fair, you don't scale very well, you know, with with this product, uh, as far as your finances are concerned. You won't make a lot of money doing it this way unless you have the volume to back it up. So, the good thing about the Game Crafter is, if you are able to step up your volume, they are you know reducing that cost per unit. Uh, and, and they can actually get pretty aggressive in that, that savings category. But really, it's about flexibility and about uh, ease of access for the customer. So they do pay a premium. I mean, you do pass that on to the customer. The customer pays a little more than they would normally pay if it were something you know more traditional. Right. And that's definitely something to take into account. I want to get back into kind of the downside, the, the cons of this mm-hmm. in a second. But you brought up an amazing point and it's kind of the advantage that video games have in that you can instantly patch the game, yeah. right? So somebody buys it and they, they send you an email and they say, hey, the rule book is missing something or this component is wrong. This card has misspelled words, whatever. Well, <laughs> in literally the very next copy, you can have it fixed. And that is such a huge, huge advantage versus, like I said, printing you know 5,000. And uh, well, I guess we got to go to Board Game Geek and put out an FAQ or put out any errata or maybe at the worst case scenario, we have to send out thousands of fixed copies or cards or whatever's wrong with the game we have to we have to fix it for the the customers or the kickstarter backers and that's expensive and that gets costly it's i've I've run into that situation where the first print run of one of my games uh just the way the cards got printed some of the uh the words on the card were in the wrong layer and they got put behind the art and Mm. so it's like well this card looks like like, shouldn't there be a special ability right here? It's like, yes, yes, there is one. It's just behind as opposed to in front. And so it's just a mistake. And so I had to you know, spend the money to send out these cards to fix the game. And I wouldn't have had to do that. I, I would have had to do that one time had it been a POD type situation versus having to do that several hundred times for all the Kickstarter backers uh, that bought it. And so, you know, it's just something uh, to take into account. But like you're saying, there are no perfect situations. There is no solution. It's, it's all about trade-offs. And then the trade-off like you're saying, is the scale ability. It's, it's very hard to have a very cheap POD game. And so that being the case, what are some things to think about? Because some components are more expensive than others. And so how can you design, how can you publish POD, uh, POD games so that you do keep the price point low? You know, what are some, I know custom stuff is probably something to really think about, but what are the component constraints you're really thinking about as a publisher so you don't have a $100 game you know, that people aren't willing to, to buy? Yeah, that that's a great question. We actually designed uh, Breakaway Football and its its subsequent iterations, uh, independent of the uh, of the components available, and that was a mistake because I was brand new to it. The expansions actually take into account what is available from the Game Crafter, and probably the first thing that we did wrong that we fixed very very quickly was. Uh, making sure that we weren't wasting cardstock. So we initially had 24 terror-sized cards as part of the package. And that created dead cards, just just wasted cards. And so if you're working with a publisher overseas or even here in the United States, a publisher will tell you, right, a printer will tell you, you have wasted cardstock. So they'll bring that to your attention. Here, you really do have to rely on yourself to to, to kind of do that math and, and make sure that you're seeing that there's waste. So the only constraint that I have on the design is making sure that we're not uh, wasting cardstock when we choose to go with cards. If it, you know, if the, if the 
the, the right number is 18. You know, we're not going to use 12. We're going to go ahead and figure out a way to use 18. And so in some cases that is, well, all right, this deck only needs to be 16 cards, but we have two extra. Can we have uh, job aids or player aids that we could print on those two extra cards and actually enhance the value, you know, because they're basically free because uh, the ch- cost doesn't change 16 versus 18. They're still going to do that whole press sheet. So I think that's a good one. The There are a lot of stock components that you can select from uh, little electricity, uh, uh, you know, different sized meeples, uh, different tokens, like w- little winks that are these circular tokens that we end up using a lot because they're translucent. Uh, they have a wonderful array of player mats uh, from four by four, to five by 10, I mean, you know, 16 by whatever. They have a lot of different sizes. And so you can really mix and match these custom components into what you need. So the Red Zone product, for example, since I had mentioned it before, I was trying to find a way to capture everything that you needed on one card. And so I was looking at the different sizes of cards that were available and settled on four by 10. They call it a skinny mat. And the four by 10 works really well because I can literally lay it next to the the board and it fits the exact size of the board because the board is the same uh, depth. And and it just makes for a really nice product that I can add these two mini boards or these skinny boards onto the sides. And it looks like a larger expanded playing surface that has more information that people need in the moment. And of course, they're double-sided. So if the team is home or away, you flip it to the home or the away side and the layout orients you with which side it should be on. So you're always going to have the home on the correct side, the away on the correct side because the helmets are pointing in and it's just very elegant. So those are the kinds of considerations you need to take in. What are necessary components and what are nice to have components? And when cost is a concern, you really do start to lean out the things that would be nice to have and the things that are absolutely necessary. So I think anytime you can use stock components to be evocative of your theme, uh, that's a good thing. And they have a lot more at their disposal on the Game Crafter site now than they did even three years ago, where they're providing more custom meeples, you know, painted figures, uh, uh, 3D models. They've, they've got a lot of different things. I don't use most of that stuff. I'm very much a, a board and card kind of guy, but it's there for you if you want it. Um, so it's good stuff. Also, one thing I want to point out, the quality is much, much better than you'd think it is. I think, you know, when the Game Crafter started 10, 12 years ago, however long it's been, uh, I, I think you were getting prototype quality materials. I think that was the expectation. I joined uh, the community in late 2015, early 2016, and I was happy with the quality of, of the product. It's only gotten better since then. The cards look great. Uh, the UV coating, the linen um, uh, th- that they put on it, that, that kind of matting, it's really nice. And so I feel very comfortable putting my name on any game that they produce and knowing that it's going to be a high quality product, the quality of the boxes has gotten better. I think that was one of the bigger things that I was uh, frustrated with was was the boxes when I first started. But the boxes now are great. And again, because it's a community, people are very vocal about what they want. Man, I really wish I could have X. I think one of the more interesting things they added recently was mint tins, right, as a, a game box holder. And they even had like a mint tin challenge where the idea was how can we generate content that will justify uh, us adding this component to our inventory. And so that's one of the very clever things about print on demand is that they're always looking to drive the need to hold on to these components because they will sunset some components. I'm sure things that don't move, you know, it costs to hold that inventory. And so if they have things that just don't get used very much, they'll discontinue it. 
So having that kind of visibility, I know I'm talking a lot, I apologize, but you know, having that kind of visibility on what the community wants and, and driving content, uh, I think those are some of the things that make the Game Crafter a successful company. And that's why print on demand has gotten better. And I'm, I'm just really impressed with what they do. Last thing, I guarantee you, I would not be in this business if it weren't for sites like the Game Crafter, for me specifically the Game Crafter, because they do such a good job of, of producing uh, uh, the games. So I'm really happy with them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. There's like 50 to 11 points to unpack there. So <laughs> uh, you, you do make a really good point that the Game Crafter does a great job with marketing. And I love how they have contests that will specifically cater towards a new, like you're saying, a new box or a new component or something like that. And it makes sense that you get the uh, design community excited about that thing. And then, I mean, from a business standpoint, and then people buy it, you know, and it, it just makes sense uh, to use that as marketing. But yeah, their quality has grown by leaps and bounds. But I remember back, I think I found the Game Crafter when it was still in beta. And they were still just figuring it out and still working out a whole lot of bugs. And, and the system was, was still really good, but there were a lot of unknowns. And I was like, all right, where does this go? And, and yeah, just to see the quality back then, which was still good, but where it is now is just, I mean, it's excellent. And so, you know, I use them for a ton of like prototype stuff and review copies and things like that. And I have never once felt bad about it. I've never received a prototype copy and gone, oh, well, you know, it's not that great. It's nine times out of 10 amazing. And then one time out of 10, really good, yeah. you know? And so I've been really impressed uh, with them, but going back to an earlier point, and this is something I want to dive into a little bit more is POD creates a lot of opportunities to be creative with the components. Like you, you mentioned that and, and coming up with like multi-use cards, multi-use uh, reasons for different components, you know, use the front and the back, use the size of the card. You know, maybe you expand and have the card. It's a little bit bigger, but it's got more going on. And then you can have fewer of them overall. And so it's cheaper. Like there's a lot of stuff that you can do to be creative. Anything else that you've done in your own games that was kind of a creative way to overcome the, the constraints, the challenges of print on demand? Yeah. I mean, uh, making sure that you're getting the most value out of the real estate that you are affording yourself is key. So, you know, if you look at the board for breakaway football, it's, um, it's chock full of information. It's not cluttered necessarily, but it does have a lot of good information. That's reference. Um, uh, for us, it's about creating breakaways on offense or defense on offense. It creates a chance for big plays on defense. It creates uh, sacks or turnovers. So knowing which types of plays create breakaways against which other types of plays is a key, um, uh, thing that you need to internalize. Well, in the time that it takes you to internalize it, if you don't have that yet, it can make the game take a little longer than it ought to. So having it right in front of you is really helpful. So I tried to carve out some real estate on the board to make sure that that was re represented rather than having an extra component. Because at the beginning of this journey, we did have a card that had that information on it on the front and the back. And when we really sharpened our pencils and said, how do we remove cost from the game to make it affordable for people to buy? Uh, that was one of the things It's like, do we need this or can we put it somewhere else? Ah, we can put it on the board. It fits there. That was dead space anyway. Super. Let's do that. And so we do look for opportunities to make the most of our real estate so that we don't have to have as many components uh, as you'd like. So to be fair, when people open a box, they want to be amazed by the quality of the components. And they want to know that the design and the thought is there so that they're getting their money's worth. And I think it's important to think about that wow factor of when they open the box, are they getting that that sense of wonder and excitement that you get when you open, you know, a treasure trove of, of information. And it doesn't mean that there's a ton of components in the box, right? I, in fact, I am actually a little turned off when there are 
uh, not minis necessarily, but, but all these little chits and counters and things that I have to sort through and put in bags. And I, I, you know, maybe I'm in the minority there, but I really don't enjoy the the prospect of that kind of, you know, uh, record keeping. Uh, but I, I do like the quality of the cards and the, and the design of the cards that come from the game crafter. And the fact that they're UV coded makes them shine, uh, in a way that's really pleasing and they don't, uh, hold kind of grease and grime, right. As easily when they're protected like that. So I just think about, you know, what are people going to experience when they open the box? And that's why I think all these unboxing videos you see are so compelling because it really is about the, you know, the kid on Christmas morning, <laughs> you know, uh, or, or on your birthday. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's primarily what we're looking for. The stock components that are obviously attributable to many possible games. I try not to use those as much because I don't get the wow factor from them. Although some teams have a theme. One in particular is a team that we call the pilots. They're based on the jets from 1968. And I thought it would be really clever if we found some kind of, uh, aeronautical themed something that would go as a component with their uh with their cards and we found a little green airplane and i said done so it's completely you know frivolous you, you could just use a little token a little circular token like all the other teams do but we found this little green airplane and and the, the mechanism is called full throttle and it's if they um uh, if their defense, uh, you know, achieves a certain number of negative yardage plays, uh, they generate an automatic turnover. Well, the way you keep track of those is you move the airplane down the runway. So it's little things like that that where you're trying to be clever about how the components feed into the theme. Uh, like the, we have another team called the Bolts. They're based on the Chargers from 1980. Dan Fouts, you know, that team. And they use these little electricity bolts uh, and they're little cardboard counters that have kind of an electricity on the, on the front. Again, completely frivolous, but we think it helps feed the theme and tell a better story. So pretty much anything that's going to help us tell a better story, we're all for it. Very cool. Now, one thing I've seen publishers do is have kind of the base version of the game. And really, they're just trying to make it as, as cost effective as possible, but then they'll have like a deluxe upgrade where maybe that version has some neoprene mats, maybe it's got some custom dice, and, and that's going to be more expensive. And so they kind of split things up and they say, hey, if you just want the regular old game, you know, if you just want to be able to play it and have a great time, here's all you need. But if you want these really cool, you know, shiny components that would make the game a whole lot more expensive, you know, if you're like a, a mega fan or, or just want to have a better experience overall, here's the deluxe version. What are your thoughts on that? Is, is that something you do? And yeah. just tell me what you think. Yeah, we've done that too. Uh, again, because print on demand is a little more costly of an alternative. Uh, we want to make it accessible to as many people as possible. So reducing the cost of that base game is something that we've tried very hard to do. Uh, so, you know, the accordion board uh, is, is an upgrade that you can have. So you're not actually changing the product. You're just adding that on. It's a separate product on the Game Crafter site. The, the league-sized box, which is just a larger box to hold all of the other expansion teams, that's something that you can upgrade to. Um, so yeah, we, we've definitely done that. Because if you only put out the deluxe edition, you're artificially limiting the, the number of people who are going to experience the game and enjoy it. Um, it's because not everybody invests in the accordion board, but we've had quite a few people who prefer that. And it's actually a really interesting uh, opportunity for folks to add more playability to their game. A game like Breakaway Football wants to be played in league play, and especially in groups. And so we've had folks reach out to us and say, hey, can you sell us just the game day deck, which is the engine that runs the game, 
uh, by itself because we have multiple boards. We bought the accordion board. You know, we have the the mat that came with the the base game. We have the rain day and the snow day mats that come in the weather expansion, but we need more game day decks so we can run simultaneous games. And that's again, part of the community. They, they asked for it and we answered within a couple of days, we created that product and we've been selling just the game day deck by itself uh, as a result. So yeah, I mean, having a, a direct lifeline to your customers is a huge deal. That is one of the cons though. And I'm going to say this, one of the cons to the, the game crafter in particular, and I imagine other print on demands in general is that I don't have the kind of visibility into my customer base that I would like to have. When someone orders a product from the game crafter, I get an email saying that it's been ordered and I see the, um, the location of the order. So for example, you know, Baltimore, Maryland, but I don't know who bought it and I don't have their email address. So I was thinking about reaching out to the game crafter recently. I would see a lot of advantage to, you know, being able to send uh, an email directly to customers who bought breakaway football to let them know about the other expansions that exist. But we've done a really good job of reaching out to our customer base and trying to inform them on what exists and also what's coming. We have two more expansions coming out this year. Uh, and we, we use BGG um, uh, as well to, to sort of communicate that. But it would be really nice to have that direct marketing. To be fair, though, I've never asked the game crafter if that's a possibility. And it's something I just recently decided I wanted to, to do. Up until, you know, the last couple of weeks, we've just been creating as much content as we can get out there. I mean, we've got 30 teams uh, that exist right now. We have uh, eight more scheduled for this year. So it's really just been breakneck content creation. But yeah, I'd like to be able to reach out directly to people who've purchased before and let them know about the expansions. Um, yeah. Right. And it seems like you could at least just have an opt-in box where if they want to make that information available to the publisher, then they can opt into that. It's not mm -hmm. automatically checked or anything, but you, you think that they could do something like that. Now, there might be some legal issues the GameCrafter has to worry about at the same time. So it's something to think about. But I love that you have that flexibility, though, where someone can literally say, hey, I want to buy this type of product. And the next day you can post it and say, here you go. Yeah, It's 1995. Just that flexibility with POD is, is so Nice. But let's let's also dive into maybe some more of the cons. What are some other things that someone really needs to think about? We talked about scale. We talked about price. We talked about some of these other issues. Anything else you want to just mention or things you've run into that are kind of the opposite of, of the, all the all the amazing benefits, kind of the downside yeah. of the cons? Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that shipping overseas is prohibitively expensive. And so I do have some customers in uh, the UK. I actually have one in Tokyo uh, who's fantastic, uh, and some other folks in uh, in Eastern Europe. But for the most part, those folks will prefer to go the PNP route. And so I think up until recently, the Game Crafter did not support print-and-play file downloads. Uh, I think they do now. But I had already found a separate solution on Gumroad. So all of the folks who are in Europe who, who want to play the game, it's very economical for them to simply download the print-and-play files uh, you know, because they cost five or six dollars a piece, <laughs> you know, so you can get the base game of breakaway football, I think for five bucks and you can get expansion sets of four teams each for like six. So you could have all the content, you know, for a very small amount of money. Now you do have to go ahead and build it yourself. But um, that's probably the one downside is that it is tough. Uh, to justify for a lot of customers to justify the cost of shipping it out of the country. But if you're in the U S um, you know, I mean, shipping's still expensive, but it's expensive for everybody. I don't think that's unique to the game crafter, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's like I mentioned at the beginning, Amazon has bought up all these print-on-demand companies worldwide. And so no matter who you are, where you're from, you buy that book on the on, on Amazon and it's going to print closest to you so that shipping doesn't get crazy. Right. But you know, we're not we're not to that point yet. I'm sure JT over at the Game Crafter would love to have a European and an Australian, you know, POD site where your <laughs> orders from those areas come in and they they ship out right there in country i'm sure that that's probably on like the big dream board you know maybe years from now that'll that'll happen because i think that would be a really excellent benefit and there's lots of people in those countries that would get on board well Art, this has been excellent man any kind of closing thoughts what would you leave listeners with maybe they're they're thinking about pod they're they're not sure well how would you encourage them I think getting out onto the GameCrafter site and just looking at what's available is a good way to start. And then you can create an account on your, I, I sound like I'm shilling for the GameCrafter. I'm really not. But what I chose to do was I saw that it was a way that I could have my creative vision get out in front of real people, share it with them at a modest cost, because uh, we really don't make a lot of money off of this, because we purposely set our profitability as low as reasonable so that we can make the content more accessible to more people. But you get complete control over that. So if you design a, a game that has high replayability and, and it's really beautiful and has very few components, you can actually do pretty well on the Game Crafter by just having this, this small like tuck box game uh, with this great design, this great artwork and minimal components, and then you price it the way that you want to price it and then reach out to your community. But it, what's nice is that you have that kind of built-in community. You can create your own account. You can make a game. And I, look, this is probably my favorite part is when I'm trying to figure out what components should go into a game. I can create that game before it's published. So it's an unpublished game. I can, I'm the only person who can see it and I can tinker with the components. Oh, I might want, you know, a deck of 54 poker cards. I might want this, I might want this. And I can actually put all of those components into the game without doing any artwork, without doing any design. I can just have an idea of how much will this product cost? So I'm saving on the ability of not having to design a game uh, without considering the component cost, then being disappointed or, or discouraged that it is too expensive for me to produce. I can start with the end in mind and say, let me make sure that I'm not setting myself up for failure, that I am going to have a, a game that is sort of priced in the right range for the kinds of folks that I'm trying to reach out to. So that's a, a really big benefit to be able to kind of see that production cost and, and have the the flexibility to tinker with it myself late at night with a cup of tea. And here I am tinkering with my little components, trying to figure out how I can make this mint tin, you know, football game that that's exactly what I want. So that, that's probably the, the biggest thing I'd want to close with. Yeah, absolutely. All right. This has been great. We, we've been talking about it the whole time, breakaway football, where can people find it? Where can they find you, your company, all that? So Thank you. Probably the best place to go would be the Game Crafter. You can just search Breakaway Football and all of the different products will come up. Uh, I would encourage people to go out to YouTube. We have our um, Uplink Underground Games channel on YouTube. And on there are a lot of uh, video components uh, about Breakaway Football, full game replays. In fact, the one that I would ask folks to go look at is the most current. <laughs> uh, I, I tried to record a game. And I used Adobe Premiere and Adobe After Effects to actually bring in 
uh, broadcast quality graphics to make it feel more like it had been broadcast in that manner. And we had uh, a gentleman uh, record with me uh, audio where he was the color commentator and I was the play-by-play. And the coaches who were actually playing it on Tabletop Simulator couldn't hear us. And so it's this whole thing. It's actually the blacksmiths versus the horsemen, which is a replay of Super Bowl Thirteen, the uh, uh, Steelers versus the Cowboys. That one. Uh, among all of the things that we have, that's the one that I would point to because it actually teaches you how to play the game. Many of the sidebars that we have as the play-by-play and color commentator are talking about just basic rules. And so if you've never played the game and you're kind of curious about what it is and how it works, if you watch that game, you'll see exactly how the how the game functions. Awesome. Well, Art, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you joining me here on the show. Good luck with breakaway football. And, and I'm sure you've got many more expansions and more teams and all that. And uh, good luck, with everything else you got going on right now. We do. Th- Gabe, thanks again for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the board game design lab podcast is sponsored by quartermaster logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?